Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's episode of our daily NYFF 59 edition, we're joined by the creative team behind Mississippi Masala, a revival selection in this year's New York Film Festival. In this talk, presented by HBO and sponsored by Turner Classic Movies, director Mira Nair, lead actress Sarita Chaudhry, and director of photography Ed Lockman discuss this seminal screen romance of the 1990s. In Mississippi Masala, Sarita Chaudhry plays Mina, a Ugandan Indian from Kampala whose family leaves Uganda after the implementation of Ida Amin's policy of forcefully expelling all Asians from the country. They wind up in Greenwood, Mississippi, living with relatives and trying to reconcile the trauma of their involuntary exile with assimilating to American culture. Some 17 years pass before Mina falls for a self-employed carpet cleaner, Demetrius, played by Denzel Washington, and their romance puts them in conflict with the local Black and Indian American communities, not to mention Mina's family. At once a powerful parable and a deeply personal work, Mississippi Masala remains an incisive examination of race relations and the tensions between passion and tradition. To learn more and get tickets for this year's NYFF, taking place through October 10th, indoors and outdoors throughout New York City, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with the team behind Mississippi Masala. We're incredibly lucky to have a very special guest moderator with us today. Jhampa Lahiri needs no introduction, but I'm going to do a really short bio. Jhampa received the Pulitzer Prize in 2000 for The Interpreter of Maladies, her debut uh, short story collection. She's also the author of The Namesake, which Mira adapted in 2006 into an award-winning movie. Uh, she's the author of Unaccustomed Earth and The Lowland, a finalist for both the Man Booker Prize and the National Book Award in Fiction. She's a recipient, frankly, of way too many awards and fellowships for me to list right now, uh, including the National Humanities Medal. But I'll just say her latest novel is Whereabouts, which was written in Italian and self-translated by her into English. And Jampa, we're so, so lucky that you agreed to do this today. Thank you so much. Please welcome Jampa Lahiri. Well, thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, and thank you to the film festival for inviting me. This is the first time I'm appearing in public in New York in uh, a really long time. Um, feels like at least a couple of years have gone by and uh, I can't imagine a more wonderful reason to come back and to find myself on a stage with, uh, with, with people I love and, and this incredible film, which I have such a vivid memory of seeing for the first time, uh, I went to see it in Boston where I was living. I went to see it with my mother, my sister, her best friends, her best friends. I mean, we were a huge group and we were all just so excited to see this movie that Mira was making because of course I already had uh, fallen in love with her work when I was a college student here. Um, I studied at Barnard College and I remember my mother and sister coming to visit me once and we went to see Salam Bombay at, uh, at the Paris. I think it was playing at the Paris cinema. I don't even know if that exists anymore, but um, it does, that's good. And so I have this very vivid memory of going to see that film and being so struck all those years ago 
at how much, Mira, how much you put into this movie. And as I was watching it today, it really felt like a fresco, you know? I mean, there were so many stories that were being told. And, and, and that really, um, I think that, that really struck me watching it tonight um, in, this, in this context. And that line in the film, uh, from where to where we've come, right? That is so resonant. And it's, in the film, it's said with a sort of sadness, yeah? But I feel that it's one of these things that anybody who has migrated, immigrated, moved, left, uh, negotiated borders um, has, has, has asked oneself, right? I know it was something, it's something that's constantly um, sort of a refrain in my, in my own upbringing, sort of where have we come? Where did we come from and how did we get here? So I want to ask you the first question is, watching this film travel across all of these years, these three decades, where do you see it having come back to? I mean, it's, it's so interesting that you brought your character back to Uganda, you know, to, 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 to have that sense of reconnection. So how, how does it feel for you right now to be reconnected with this film, with this beautiful film? Thank you so much, Jumpa. Um, well, it actually feels deeply moving uh, also because Ed and the beautiful team of Criterion have done such a remarkable job also uh, remastering it and the sound. It's, it's truly sumptuous and voluptuous and I, I really enjoy that and I um, don't really enjoy my own work. I, I torture myself but I did have, uh, I really feel very moved because it is enjoyable because there's so much politics in it that is still so timely and actually very brave uh, to hear some things that we were outrageous enough to say then. And I also missed very much my friend Suni who wrote the screenplay. You know, I mean, the lines are, the lines, you know, from where to where we've come is a kind of, is a, is a kind of joke but serious line that we always say to each other, especially those of us who have come from anywhere to anywhere, you know, and also it, there's a lot of lines that are somewhat a translation of our own language, you know, you know, we, we all, it's in many, in, uh, in, we always say that, right? So I, I missed Suni very much because uh, she had a capacity, we share a great sense of humor and also through humor to bring the point of the matter, you know, whether it, all these stories you refer to, I mean, it was really in, a lot in the screenplay and a lot in the fact that our film came out of actual truths, you know. Actually, we went to Mississippi, the, the, you know, many uh, Ugandan exiles had bought motels there. You could hardly find an American motel because it was dirt poor and you could buy your own motel and you could hire your own family who did not know English to run the motel, you know. But then we had never seen Uganda and uh, Suni and I went to Uganda for the first time in the whole African continent in 1989 to research this movie. And I have to say, on an aside, I meant to say this in the introduction, but this movie truly changed my life because I 
fell in love in Uganda. <laughs> it's dedicated. Uh, the the film is dedicated to M Jan, who is Mahmood Jan, my my husband and love and partner, who's right here tonight. And I've 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 lived in Uganda, you know, for thirty some years now. In that house in which our son Zoran, who's now a New York City politician, was also born there. So I mean, it's it's really a, a film that has totally changed my life. But um, we also made a beautiful film school next door to our home, Maisha, which is now 16 years old. A lot of us here who have made the film, Lydia and everyone, have been a part of that movement to make uh, local East African film be alive and, you know, strong. Because like Okelo says, you know, uh, Africa is for Africans. The stories of Africa have to be told by Africans. So anyway, it, it has many, many layers of influence in my life and really changed it quite, you know, hugely. But in terms of the timeliness of this film, I mean, when we made it literally 30 years ago, it was uh, the first black and brown like interracial love story, right? And and they, and uh, but I haven't seen anything like that ever since, even the 30 years. So when Kamala Harris was elected, I said, you know, this is the child of Mississippi Masala, you know. But really, and and and, uh, but there is still so little of us that is seen. So I I feel like it. I'm really happy that our gen, you know, our children and our generation, the generation behind us can know this film, can know this terrain, which is otherwise, if we don't tell our own stories, no one will tell them. And, and they can see it, you know, they can feel it. And uh, I hope also enjoy it. But Sarita, you, you, should, you should speak because you are the heart of the film. <laughs> Thank you. It just moved me what you said, if we don't tell our own stories, who will? It, so for me, this is wild. Um, like, I, I kept thinking, would I fit into those jeans? Like, really superficial thoughts. Um, and then I thought, Mira's a really comedic actress. Like, I didn't think that at the time because she has such a small role, and I didn't pay attention. <laughs> but now I was like, wow, she's very funny. Um, it was also weird because now I'm older, I'm relating more to the parents. And... <laughs> My daughter, who's in the audience, is more my age. It, so it's a head trip. Um, and I thought, I wish I was nicer to my parents, even as actors. <laughs> Just crazy thoughts. But um, obviously, I haven't changed much. Uh, I think, like, Mira, this was so... I think even when we were doing it, we knew it was special. Because it was the time we were all... We were growing up ourselves in cinema, in her life, because she fell in love um, and had a baby. And for me, it was post-university, coming into the world. Mira brought me to New York. I used to live in London. Um, so this movie is the beginning of our dreams. And so to see it 30 years later, um, I feel like it's time to share it with other people, like... I'm so happy my daughter's here because she's beginning to dream. And so it feels right to pass it on, you know? So thank you, Ed and Mira. Uh, a cinematographer is always looking for new landscapes and that Mira was so generous to allow me to be part of that and discover, you know, a culture 
and that I wasn't part of by any means, but that I was so uh, could be so involved with. So it was a great collaboration to work with Mira and with you, Sarai. Well, it was so beautiful to watch the the shift in landscape and just a beautiful, beautiful. Um, you were so beautiful. Can I just she say still is. you were so you <laughs> and you are you are so beautiful, but you were so beautiful to watch. I was just watching and 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 all of you and that chemistry between you and Denzel was really uh just, Electric. just it was, it was, it was. It's quite an extraordinary thing to watch. Um, and, but I was really struck. I mean, as we get older, we think about things like trees and sky and all. You know, the nature was so powerful and and, and evocative. And and um, and I and I started to recognize, you know, all of these obsessions you have with palette and you know the colors that you use and. And, and the hands and the rain and those scenes and the water. And um, so, it, it, you know, you, one, can, one can trace so many things coming out of this film. And, and really, I feel like, I mean, you owe so many things to this film. We all do. And I, I do think that watching that film allowed me to start exploring a lot of things in my own work, you know? I mean, you sort of opened this door to, to, to think about things, to think about questions, to think about intergenerational um, questions that are happening in, in both of the families. I mean, there, it, it, it's, there's, there's this sort of revolving um, set of, 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 of tensions and dramas that I thought were, were so, you know, you, you never stood still in one, in one particular sort of set of characters, you know? Um, and speaking of things moving around, so I have to ask Sarita, watching that car, were you driving the car? And how did you manage to do that? This is such an Indian thing because Mira and I don't drive, which is evident. Um, but Mira also is that kind of director where she's like, it's okay, yeah? Like, Jump in and the car. Like the producers are like, no, we have to make sure. And she's like, yeah, we don't have time. No, no. Okay, okay. Put someone in the box. Like there was some guy, right? In the, the floor. floor? Yeah. A short guy, right? And, um, and Mira was like, go. It's an independent movie. We don't have the money. Get a double. No, no, no. No? I'm sure Michael Dozik and Lydia would not have allowed that. But... Uh, <laughs> I always believe that intelligent women don't drive. But, uh, <laughs> I failed oh my Manhattan my driving test three times. <laughs> and then I didn't drive. <laughs> Chauffeurs are oh, there for better. a reason. <laughs> but she did drive the car. But when you she drove the car. I drove. You drove the car. Yeah. It was scary, but it was uh, fun. Well, scary for me. It was scary Because you were coming Ed. with the camera. <laughs> yeah. When you go to stop. Where were you? Yeah, you were right. Yeah. That's right. There was a mark for the yeah, stop. Yeah, because I operated on that film. I remember that. I remember. And you had to drive the shopping cart, too, <laughs> in the beginning. That unforgettable shopping cart scene. You were good at that kind of yeah. stuff, like the comedic um, moves. 
or running to the car? Well, a lot of it was actually, you know, inspired by reality and what we used to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, when weddings happened in these motels, it was 25 gallons of milk. Yeah. You know, it, it's not something... It, so much is from life. We actually were also in a car crash, which gave us the idea to start oh, really? their meeting in the car crash mm. because there was this guy, the hustler, who you know wanted to make money off both sides. Mm. And we met mm. this person through that car crash. Mm. So there were things like that that were so reminiscent when I, when I saw the film today because a, a number of details like that we picked up from actually living in Greenwood, Mississippi. It was few, many weeks, many months sometimes. And what was it like for both of you to go there? I'm assuming you, did, you hadn't spent time in that location. What, what did it feel like and how did you, how did you respond well, to it? That club, it was called Mitchell's. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we would go there and we were probably the first interracial people, whites, to go to that club. And I remember one night I was there with uh, Lydia Pilcher and we drove back, and we had a police escort, and they stopped us. Mm-hmm. We said, why are you stopping us? Oh, we just wanted to see if you were all right. So we wow. felt, and then also that restaurant, uh, Los Los Coast. Coast, yeah, Los there was never, the only African-Americans were the waiters. Mm-hmm. But of course, while we were there, we all ate there, and they were very welcome, welcoming to us. Mm-hmm. But I stayed a week later just to photograph things around Greenwood, and I went right back to the way it was. Well, I Maggard like Evers was killed in that town. Oh, really? Yeah, that was like right, right, the right. crux of the Ku Klux okay. Klan was. Money, Mississippi was not very far from there, where, you know, where he was murdered, till it. Yeah. And... and uh, I remember Denzel not wanting to stay in a home that we'd had for him, like a mansion that we had rented. He says, I don't want to stay there. I want to stay right there with the cast and crew in the Ramada Inn when we all stayed. So mm-hmm. there was a, an element of what fear or caution, you know, mm-hmm. we could not. And we were often, uh, often tracked uh, in in white establishments. You know, we were just not made, we were made to feel unwelcome, you know. And that was a very alive and very much the town. So we stick, we st- people of color stuck together yeah. in Ramada Inn. And uh, the amazing thing was Sharmila Tagore, who plays your mom, is a major star, huge star from India. And so when the Indians knew that Sharmila was in Ramada Inn, every night we would come back from shooting and there would be a row of tiffins outside Sharmila's room. You know, from uh, all Offerings. the community, just fans, uh-huh. just making homemade food, food. for her. And, wow. you know, and she's a darling sort of mother hen. And all the, all of Indians, the Pontiac, the whole cast, everyone would just like, you know, tongues drooling. Uh, you know, because I, I will never touch catfish again because I only ate catfish oh. for like six months there. And, and so Indian food was just, you know, yearned for. And every night, you know, Sharmila would give us tiffin in her room. Because we could, you know, so it was a, it was a lot like the atmosphere in the film, you know, in terms of the community being in the motel, also the commonality you spoke of of the two sides, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, of the, Demetrius's family and and her family. It it was just like that. It, it, they're so common in so many ways of being together, especially in the south, but near the twain shall meet, you know, and all of that inspired, of course, our, our story. 
I loved that moment in the in the restaurant, going from one set of people to the other. I thought that was so beautiful and and representative in some sense of you know these separate separate worlds in the film, yeah. right? That we we kept getting a glimpse of this family, that family, these, these minor characters, then the parents' story, the father's story, the past. It was it was um, it was beautiful, yeah. And it was inspired, you know, by that longing for Uganda and longing for home. And when I went to Uganda uh, and uh, for the first time, it was the end of the civil war. The first scene uh, was, you know, when, they, when the police stopped them. It's very much out of my own experience of being there and being with, you know, soldiers, roadblocks. The, it was highly, very dangerous in feeling. Um, but I was looking eventually for a place that I, was unforgettable. You know, you'd never forget. And Mahmoud uh, took me to this incredible home, which I, the minute I saw it, I thought this was it, you know, that amazing view of Lake Victoria. And, um, and later, very soon after, he bought it for us and we moved in. Uh, I mean, after we finished shooting and trashing the place, we moved in. And I've lived, I'm living, we live there ever since. I know, you sent me pictures. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I recognize you pictures. It. Yes. It's still the same, except there's a forest in front of our... You know, in the view, uh, it's many more trees, but otherwise it's still the same. And it cannot change because of the view, mm -hmm. because of the vantage point. But uh, yeah, so that's, it was extraordinary to see it again, in the, and having just left it a month ago. But um, yeah, Uganda is very much my life. Can you talk a little bit about how the, the story, just how you built it? Um, sure. Because, you know, I was just really interested in how things were unfolding in this relatively brief span of time. I mean, there's a lot of time yes. covering, but but the but the but the but the Greenwood section is meant to be a few months, maybe yes, or yes. yeah. Yes, uh, so it's a very concentrated, uh, you know. And but so many things happen. I mean, the present is just a few months, but the past is, of course, the past. Mm -hmm. You know, which informs so much of the present. But the the story came out well. Originally, it was by what I call the hierarchy of color or feeling it as a brown kid at college. You know, I came from India when I was 19 to, to Harvard on a scholarship and, and being the, uh, the brown girl between black and white was something, communities in our college, just I felt it. You know, I felt that I was accessible to both communities, but there were invisible lines and I wanted to, this, this, this hierarchy was something that intrigued me. And uh, after Salam Bombay, I had read a lot of nonfiction of the Ugandan Asian exile from Uganda because of Amin and, and many people coming to the South and many people coming to England and various places. And I started interviewing uh, close to 2,000 exile, uh, Ugandan exiles in, in, in England and in here. And then India abroad, remember that tabloid? We have, not tabloid, so it's a newspaper. It, and that they wrote about... The, they used to call them the Patel motels. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that you cannot, you know, it's all run by Indian families. And many of them happen to be Ugandan exiles. So very much in, this, in, the, in the style of social science research, you know. The first trip, in fact, I made to the South was with a dear friend, I think he's here tonight, Amitav Ghosh, wonderful writer. And, and we first started on that together mm -hmm. uh, to explore whether there could be a story here uh, and went to Mississippi. Um, with Mitch and with, with a gang of us. And then a couple of months later, I still couldn't co corner the story. 
and asked Sunni to come in on it. And Sunni had her own angle on this black and brown relationship. You know, she'd had her own uh, influence on it. And, uh, and then we went back to Mississippi and basically lived in Mississippi over two months, she and I, and then decided to go to Uganda to see this place that everybody speaks about. You know, you throw two seeds across your shoulder, they would say, and tomorrow there'll be papayas. It was such a fertile place. Mm -hmm. it, they dreamt about this place. And finally, we went to East Africa, you know, and it was a, it was, it opened my mind so much. And, and, and that's when we, we, I read a book by Mahmoud Mamdani, who I later met and uh, got together with, and he wrote this beautiful book called From Citizen to Refugee about being expelled by Idi Amin and after generations of living there and then coming to London and so on. So all these influences helped us, but essentially the time in these real places informed the story. Mm -hmm. And then we, we made a map together, Suni and I, and then she wrote the screenplay and we kept editing and, and you know, refining it in the way that you mm -hmm. see it. So it came together like that. Very, it took about a year and a half to, write the, to conceive it and write it. And then we had a lot of trouble raising money uh, for it because nobody, you know, wanted, it was not that time. And they didn't, they really gave me a hard time doing it. And Cinecom Pictures are very happy that they finally financed it. In fact, Bart Walker, who was head of Cinecom at the time, financed it and has then left Cinecom and has worked as my agent ever since for some 33 years. And he was very responsible for resurrecting the rights back to us as, as filmmakers. Mm. So um, it's just uh, one of those amazingly winding roads, you yes. know, and from uh, where to where, from where to where yeah. it's come. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say, I mean, that, that because to me, the center of gravity is so much the Uganda, you know, piece of it. And yet you went there, yeah. you know, that was sort of in, in the second phase of yeah. your exploration yeah. of the whole sort of texture of yeah. the, of the film, you know, but it's, so much about it begins with this incredibly painful separation right and i remember that that whole that whole segment of the film from from the first time i saw it i remember it very vividly and um and then in the end what you do so brilliantly is you know it's a, it's a happy ending right and yet it's layered with a, a very intense separation that's necessary you know so it's like you're looking at these two modes of separation you know one is the separation that that has to happen right for people to move forward to grow and then the other sort of more sort of starkly brutal separation of of of, of being cast out of being exiled of, of losing your 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 sense of place and and i think you're 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 you 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 very much explore both of these modes right and and that feeling of that you can long for something, you can yearn for something. The, the what I later call the uselessness of nostalgia, but it's very very powerful. And when you come face to face with that reality now, as Jay does when he returns to Kampala, nothing is the same because he has changed. You know, but there is that beautiful melancholy about that realization that love is where Kinu is or where he where he is at home, and maybe this is no longer something he can consider his home. So that was something, of course, again, we all feel, the, those who go from where to where, <laughs> that when we long to return, 
things have changed. You know, we have changed. It's because we have changed. Take home limited edition merch from this year's 59th New York Film Festival. The official NYFF 59 poster, designed by artist Kara Walker, plus original NYFF t-shirts, hats, and more, are now available. Shop online at filmlink.org merch, or during the festival at Alice Tully Hall and the Eleanor Bunin Monroe Film Center. Sarita, can I ask you a little bit about, so I was basically the age of Mina when I watched the film. You know, I think I was literally 24 years old. And I was so struck by her character and how strong she was, you know, and how she stood up for what she wanted and what she needed and stood up to her parents and all of these things. Um, and I just wonder how you sort of grew into this, this, this character and how, you know, how you, yeah, how you became her. How? Uh, um, I think, first of all, you know, I forget each time because she's pretty strong and rebellious, but like a lot of Indian girls, Mira and Suni wrote a character that's actually behaving half the time. You know, going to the wedding, dressing appropriately, um, working, cleaning bathrooms, like doing a lot. So that in a weird way, their rebellion comes from, you want to be her? Because she's not just rebellious. She's actually quite a good daughter. And I, I think that hit me this time is that I didn't even realize like she's, she's a better daughter than most, you know? It's just when she knows she needs it, she speaks up. Like when you're in love, you get that energy to fight. Um, or when you feel there's justice to be had, you like, you know, when the motel scene, when her cousin bursts in, she suddenly says, uh, like she curses. And I, I, I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. Um, so I also think Mira, we talked a lot. We hung out a lot. She directed every scene. I, I was, um, I was uh, like now, I was, um, <laughs> um, I, I hadn't, I was just beginning my career. So she kind of taught me everything and, but we also had so much fun and we would, she'd watch me offset and put things in set. And it, it, was, it was seamless kind of. And I've had a, a similar life to Mina. I grew up in Jamaica, moved to Italy, left, beho- left behind friends and family many times in my life. And, you know, you become this weird, strong person, but inside you're so hurting for something all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's what I saw this time. And I, f- I felt that oh, as I, I was watching her, you know, and I think that since, you know, I mean, my life was a certain way when I was 24 and it's very different now that I'm 54. Yeah. And, and, and I feel I have more of those separations inside of me as well. You know, uh, I've, I've crossed more, uh, boundaries and, and places and, and, and left behind and come back and all of these things, you know, that you've lived, you lived at a, at a younger age and as part of your childhood, your formation. So I recognize so many, mm. so much more of these, so much more of that, that, that anguish of separation and all of those things that you, that you, that you put into this film, um, I think hit me even more on, right. on this, on this, in this viewing. 
I, I just want to share how I met you, Sarita. <laughs> I, I saw, uh, what, I, what I was looking for in Meena was a lack of vanity, no vanity, you know, and great intelligence. And, and I saw a picture of Sarita, a wild head, a wild head of hair and on a bicycle. And, uh, and she looked just like unmade up and completely like not caring how she might appear. And she looked like a lioness to me. I loved, I loved her look. And I asked the Susie Figgis, this brilliant casting director in England who was casting my film. I said, just find me that girl, please. And, and I remember the day I went to London to cast and meet a lot of people. And uh, I kept asking Susie, when is the girl with the hair coming? And, and, and she kept delaying. And she said, no, no, let's have lunch. Let's have lunch and, you know, I'll just meet her and so on. And anyway, after lunch, uh, in comes Sarita and she completely fulfills my, my image that she, of what she might be like. She was a student of film. She was not a student of film acting. I think you were studying theory and, uh, and so on. And, and what had happened was that she came in, typical Sarita, came in with oily, unwashed, dirty hair. And Susie Figures took one look at her and said, you will go to the salon, take this money from me, fix your hair to look as big, as wild as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll meet after lunch and I'll make all the excuses I can for you. And, and that's what happened. She came in with the hair. and <laughs> I was so scared because I knew I had to be seeing you at like one. And she was sending me to a salon and I was like, what's Mira going to say? And she's like, well, you have to come up with something and I will too. And I was like, I'm so nervous. I'd seen all of Mira's documentaries and Salon Bombay. So I was very nervous. <laughs> So when I walked in with this hair that was, and Susie was punching it up even more, I was like, I'm going to lose this job. Like, this looks vain. And, and then I cast, you know, I managed to get Denzel to say yes. And that was great because he also loved Salam Bombay. And that was one of the big reasons. Mm -hmm. But... Um, but then I showed him pictures of you in a, in a magazine that you were modeling for and you know, and, and he just, you know, thought it was wonderful, but didn't say much uh, and was completely on for the, on the trip. And, uh, and, and it was quite unusual at the time to have kind of a star. He was, he later won the Oscar. He was not so well known at the time, but he was our star for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, you know, to meet, to work opposite an essentially, an un, you know, non-actor yeah. or tr untrained actor yeah. uh, opposite him. And, it was just a beautiful, uh, beautiful alchemy that happened right yes. from the beginning because we spent a lot of time uh, hanging out and doing uh, readings and uh, making both of you as comfortable as possible. Um, and it was, a, it was a... Yeah, and he leaned into it because I remember a lot of the scenes, he'd pick up something you gave him and throw it at me. And I was like, oh my God, is this improv? And I'd look at him, but he, the way he leaned, there was a caring... You know, for someone who's on the verge of stardom, he was. Yeah. yeah. And he said to me very clearly, he said, I, I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to, you know, be, be, be with an Asian girl. You know, I've never got this before. Like, I, this, wow. this, this kind of love story would not exist, you know. Wow. And um, yeah. so it was interesting, you know, working with him um, yeah, at that time. I really admired the hair. I did. I mean, I didn't know the hair story, but, but there were a lot of beautiful shots of, of, hair. of hair. I fixed every single thing yes, myself. Yes, Okay, now Especially I understand. Especially the supermarket mm -hmm. scene. A, lo a, lo a lot of hair. And I also really admired the way the shawl was just draped in this really perfect way when she comes to Biloxi, when she gets off the bus. I was like, that, that's, 
that would never happen to me. That the, my scarf would be like so crushed and yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. And I really, I was just really loving that moment. Well, I remember, you know, she appeared in this white uh, blouse, uh, mm-hmm. sleeveless, and it was nice and everything, but it was not. It didn't have the masala, to be mm-hmm. honest, of 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 what I was trying to do. And I and Kinnari Lakia, our wonderful uh, costume designer, we she, we essentially wore our clothes. Yeah. Uh, you wore a lot of my clothes yeah. uh, all the time, in fact, mm-hmm. and uh, and and also Kinu's clothes. So uh, yeah, it was yeah. always about you know having something picante, you know, having something that is spicy, like like we are, and like masala is. So in terms of clothing too, so that was a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ed was always there. <laughs> Amazing. This was shot on film. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautifully shot. Yeah. And and we did something that was interesting. I wanted the comparison of uh, Africa to Mississippi, so we shot Fuji in Africa, which lends itself to the greens, the yellows, the greens, and the warm colors. And we shot Kodak in Mississippi. And then I shot with different lenses. I shot with older Cook lenses in Africa and Zeiss High Speed, which are much sharper lenses in Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah. You really feel it. You really feel it now, especially after this remastering. Yeah, well, I could do things with Mira in the DI that I could never do before. At that time, yeah. So, we were so lucky to find the original negative to work with. So what should we do? Should we ask the audience if they have some questions? I think they might, yeah. yeah. So how, how, how will it work? Do people just get up and ask a question? Devika will tell us. Okay. Oh. Oh, there's a, there's a microphone here. Oh, yeah, there's a microphone up here, yeah. Tough question because uh, it's. Uh, I think they might have had a very. Uh, they they might have had a very fun ride and then a turbulent one, and uh, and then they might have split up and then had said to, said to each other from where to where we came, <laughs> <laughs> and then they might have come back together because um, I actually think that they were they were meant to be together. I just felt that very much this time, that they were rebels in their own hearts and their hearts united them. But that's my romantic view, perhaps. But the turbulence, I definitely would think, definitely would have existed. It's yeah. a beautiful answer. Yeah. Please come on up, yeah. Please, please ask your question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's too deep. So, um... I'm just going to say, on behalf, maybe not behalf, of every South Asian uh, filmmaker here, we want to say Mississippi Masala was chatpata. Chatpata. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, with, and Mira, all of your movies have had a very um, specific political lens towards how can art and cinema change the world. So we saw that with the underlying racism, with being Indian, being Indian in Uganda, being Indian in America, as well as being um, African-American in the US. 
with the current climate, if you and Sunni were jamming together today, and you were like, how would we make Mississippi masala in 2022? What would, what would that world look like for an interracial couple that um, could see love, could feel love, but also feel the strain of love, uh, feel the strain of family, feel the strain of culture over the course of time that has kind of changed, but not changed. You have to work Thank now. you very much. Thank you very much for your uh, passion for it. Um, but as a filmmaker, I think you may be, you know, we can't spin stories just sitting right here. And I'm certainly not going to spin a story that, you know, to the audience before I know it fully baked. So I really can't tell you the story we would cook now. But I am making a pretty interesting kind of, uh, I, I think of it as a, as, a, as a child of masala. It's, it's not given a name yet, uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a film I'm going to be making with Pharrell Williams doing the music. Um, and, and it features a, a, a black, an African-American character from here and an Indian woman from Bombay. And we are using, we, we, are, we are making a sort of musical version, musical version, uh, which will certainly... Uh, do the same things that we did 30 years ago in terms of looking at what has happened to today's world, you know, in terms of this coming together. I'm keeping it kind of vague because I have to, but uh, that is how I am. That is one thing that I think of Mississippi Masala when I'm, when I'm conceiving it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Actually, thank you, Jumpa and Mira and Sarita for for being you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Sorry, Ed, you're left out of that and one. Ed. <laughs> Hi. Um, thank you all for making this beautiful film. Um, I'm a little starstruck, so I'm looking at my notes. Um, uh, this movie is like a really beautiful romance, a romance between man and country, familial romance, and between Mina and uh, Demetrius. Um, I guess I was wondering, because you said this film changed the course of your life and you fell in love in Uganda, did that um, experience change or um, did it affect how you wrote or depicted Mi uh, Mira and Denzel on screen? You mean Mina? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Mina. <laughs> no, it is, it's, happened, it's happened to us several times. Um, yes, it did, you know, uh, when... I started working with Denzel. Uh, we started with all those industrious good boy scenes, you know, and he was amazing in all of those scenes with Dexter and his father and so on, just effortless, like consummate. It was like seeing really a star at play because he completely was in his being and utterly comfortable and doing all kinds of lifelike things that enhanced everything and made others also feel very comfortable. But when it came to the love stuff, I just wasn't feeling it, you know. And I was directing this film in a sort of love stupor. I, I was in that state and I said so, you know, not... And I remember very much when I was, uh, you know, he had his trailer parked outside the cotton fields. And, and I, I just wasn't feeling that weak-kneed sensation, which thankfully I've had the privilege of feeling once, uh, you know, in my life. And, 
and I and I was marching outside the outside the trailer saying, how am I going to get this out of Denzel? You know, who's so incredible in everything he was doing. But this, he was not, he was holding back. We hadn't done the love scenes. We kept the love scenes till the very end, the last day of shooting. But um, so I just was psyching myself up. And meanwhile, I think he had won the Oscar in the middle of that for glory. So he was also a star. And I had, you know, not my, nothing. And, and I, I marched it and I start, sat with him and I was quite nervous, but I tried not to be. And I said, look, Denzel, you're doing this great. You're doing that great. It's extraordinary. Uh, but, and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, you know, what is it? And, and I said, you know, it's this stupor of love thing. You know, this thing that I am sensing in myself and I'm not sensing in when you're with her, you know. And, and I think it's about vulnerability. I think it's about like really dropping the guard you know, when you're with each other. And, uh, and he looked at me sort of skeptical, like I'm just, you know, speaking out of my own heart or something. And I said, you know, I think the women in the audience will really take that, you know, and, 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 and they'll swoon. And, and, and we'll, it'll be interactive, Denzel. This is the way that if you can achieve that vulnerability, <laughs> then um, we'll have something. And I think the minute... I spoke marketing, it seemed to really hit him, you know. <laughs> he said, all right, all right, I'll take care of it, okay, okay. <laughs> and then we got into a, pretty much the next stage of this romantic love, which was so extraordinary. I mean, you see it, I feel it, it's palpable. And we achieved, a, it was a kind of threesome. Uh, we, we were always together uh, trying to achieve that. And it was very, very, um, actually very open but by the end of it, you know, the night, the Biloxi night, you know, it was, I was just, I remember, Ed, you remember we had these two rooms that were interconnected, like motel rooms are. You were lighting their motel room and I was in the other motel, the room, with the two of them. And we had this, and Denzel had ordered craw, what was it called? Craw, uh, uh, something that they eat, there, like um, oh, crawfish. Crawfish, but it, it's a it's sort of a, a jumbo. Not, I don't know what it's gumbo, gumbo, crawfish yeah. gumbo, and and you know, and I had ordered some champagne, and you know, I was trying to keep the mood right and everything. But inside, I was it's a total performance. I was thinking, God, Ed, finish, finish lighting, so I can keep this mood and bring it over there to the next room, and you know, and all of this. We kept a very, very calm and cool set. I mean, but a fun no, set. You got champagne, and then you got in between us in the bed and told us your love story, <laughs> Mahmoud. And I think Denzel was like, wow, these Indian girls, they know, I mean, it was so fun. And we kind of forgot what we were about to do, but we kind of knew what you were doing. Like the whole thing. The whole was, time, it was a performance for me because yeah. I was playing all these games, but I was just seriously thinking, come on, Ed, let's just keep this mood. Tell me you're ready. And then when it was ready, uh, we, you know, I just got on the, the, the track, the dolly with you. It was just you and me. It was a close set and, and these two. And uh, it was... Uh, it and was you a, put music on, which was so The same lovely. music yeah. that you hear, which was Papi text from, from Congo. I mean, I love that song. And uh, yeah, I put that music on the whole time. <laughs> I remember. And just prayed that I got it. And I think we really got it. You know, because when I see it now, I just think, wow, we really did that. You know, it was really, I mean, you could feel it. it we, we kept the mood, you know, what they did. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, 
Uh, thank you so much for making this film and this space available to us. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Oh, all right. Thanks. Um, so I think kind of on a related note, oops, sorry, mask. Uh, I feel like romance, in this case in particular, you tell this complicated story of love, but you spoke about the idea behind the film. And that's a story of migration. It's a story about like these two communities engaging. And I think what's really beautiful about the film is that you don't shy away from talking about power. Like, yes, both families object. That's really, oh, that's like a typical like star-crossed love. But no, one family has the ability to cut off an economy to another family. Like, it's, it's such an interesting way. And I think all of you as um, in, your, in your respective roles have had such incredible careers. Uh, by the way, I just saw The Green Knight. You're absolutely stunning in it. Thank you so much. Uh, but also, I'm curious, um, from each of your perspectives, what do you think it is about love stories in particular that filmmakers gravitate towards as a way to talk through these really challenging, challenging, difficult questions? And what do you appreciate about them? Anyone who's who's comfortable answering, I'd love to hear from your respective perspectives. Thank you. I answer. Yeah, <laughs> because love stories. Love stories. <laughs> well, love stories are so challenging. Love is so challenging and endlessly complicated and precarious and inherently dramatic. And it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to write a happy love story um, and make it interesting, right? Um, that's why there are so many unhappy love stories uh, in, in art, not just in life. Um, but, but I think people are drawn, I'm drawn to, to sort of studying fault lines, right, in relationships. Um, which is why I really admire this film, though, because, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, there is this happy ending that you get away with without making it feel you know, sort of, oh, gosh, it's all going to work out. I mean, it really, it does and it doesn't. And I think the question about what happened to them 30 years later is relevant, right? Because it is left rather ambiguous at the end. I mean, we know that they're going to get somewhere, maybe to the next, you know, to the next situation and maybe for another, you know, couple of years, five years, 10 years, we don't know. But it's not a given. I mean, it's, you don't close it, you don't sew it up in any way, um, but there is an unguardedness, right? When you really are experiencing love, there is an unguarded. There is a there is this vulnerability, this nakedness. You know, no pun intended. I mean, complete, and that is a very beautiful space. You know, where I think the revelation of people's what really makes them who they are is revealed, and 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 it is never, I think, the same you know, between two people. It's always something uh, that you can go into, which is a unique uh, territory, you know. Um, also, a big part of this, obviously, this making this film and thinking about the story was to uh, hold a mirror to the racism within us, big time. You know, I was seriously, I remember here, I'm a New Yorker, I was on the, you know, on the IRT, it used to be called then, the number one line. And, you know, it was quite a success, this film, and it was in the theaters and all. And Indian guys would just, like, come up to me in the subway and says, what do you think? What are you doing? You know, you want our daughters to marry uh, all black people? You think they're all uh, in uh, Denzel Washington or what? You know? <laughs> and I would just, like, you know... <laughs> smile and, you know, I, I, you know I, I, how do you confront that? How do you, you know, but it was definitely a feeling of being threatened, you know, um, which was not our intention, but the intention is to also show 
what we really believe, right? And, and we really believe this. I used to be a waitress here at Indian Oven and I could see how I was, you know, how the owners of the restaurant would treat, um, you know, the white customer and the black customer if there was one, you know? And it was just flagrant, you know? So all of this I was, saw and lived in, very much so, in that New York, you know? And it was a part, it was a, all a, an inspiration uh, of what to how to use it, you know, how to hold the mirror, but also have enjoyment, you know, also have truth and fun through it. You know, that's what I thought when I saw it again, was that there was so much politics in it, but it's encased in a kind of real in enjoyment. That was the hope. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think that's, all for the audience questions, unless anybody has any other reflections on this movie, on this evening, <laughs> on our conversation, which has been a bit lovely, lovely and a bit, <laughs> you know, sort of all looking at so many things from so many different angles, um, which is what you did, right? With your camera, looking, <laughs> looking, peering in. To these different moments and uh, I just want to thank you all for thank you for letting me ask you some questions <laughs> some you know behind the scenes questions I thank you, yeah, thank you yeah. so much I just want to say one more last thing which is that we've lost a lot of actors who are in Mississippi Masala and I wanted to uh, speak of them a little before we started and I wanted to especially dedicate the screening tonight to our dear friend Ranjit Chaudhary who played Anil Patel uh, in in the film who we lost last year uh, at a very young age. And, and also Yvette, uh, Yvette Hawkins, who played uh, Aunt Rose, and, and also um, Joe Seneca, who, who also passed away, who played Billy Ben. Uh, we've lost a lot of people, and I remember them with such love and with such gratitude. And uh, just want to say, uh, you know, I reached out to a lot of actors to come join us on this even this evening and um, Roshan Seth who played the father and Sharmila Tagore sent great love and great salams to the audience and to us all. Um, but I just want to remember those who are not with us and especially Ranjit who just has forever made us laugh and uh, whom we miss terribly right now. But thank you so much, Jumpa, for being here this evening and your first public experience and for us and this great audience and uh, the New York Film Festival. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, happy birthday to Mississippi Masala. Oh, yes. Happy yeah. birthday. Happy birthday to, us, to this 30th film. anniversary. 30th birthday. Oh, yes, happy birthday. Too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.